Thank you, Chloe. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, JT and musicians. Uh, good to see everyone this morning. Glad that you're here. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. You know, last weekend was mine and Karen's 50th wedding anniversary weekend. And uh, our family and our uh, church gave us a wonderful gathering on last Sunday night. And I want, Karen and I want to say thank you to everyone for that. It was a wonderful time. You know, Karen and I met when we were 12 years old. We started going, quote, steady when we were 13. And uh, so since we were 13 years old, we've been best friends and still best friends today. And not only is she my wife, she's the love of my life. And uh, God's been good to us and blessed us. And we're very thankful uh, for that. And thank you for uh, your support and love. By the way, before we look at our text, I did print some of these uh, handouts like this. And you can pick those up as you leave today. It's got the information from two weeks ago on angels, if you uh, would like to have uh, that uh, information. So today is part two on this series, uh, The Unseen World. And I didn't quite get through like I wanted to last two weeks ago on angels, so I'm coming back to that subject for today as well. Um, you remember that as we ended last week, or two weeks ago as it was, let me get my thing working here. There we go. We ended with, with this thought in this verse. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And, uh, and then, of course, we had just previously, before we came to this verse, looked at the verse that said in uh, Hebrews 1.14 that angels are ministering spirits sent to uh, minister to the heirs of salvation. That's us. And so angels are there to uh, help and protect and to carry out God's uh, will. Uh, sometimes angels, if you ever see one, sometimes they look like just regular people, like a man. We'll see that in our text today. Last week, two weeks ago in our text, uh, we saw them appear like shining chariots of fire so sometimes when angels appear there is a certain degree of God's glory displayed in them it depends on the need as such well with that said look at our text look at verse 1 and 2 keep your Bibles open we'll look at this chapter a little bit it says and the Lord appeared unto him that's Abraham in the plains of Mamre and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day and he lifted up his eyes and looked and lo three men stood by him and when he saw them he ran to greet them uh, from the tent door and bowed himself towards the ground pray with me father thank you for this passage before us thank you for your word Thank you for the beautiful singing and that you are our great protector. We give you praise. Speak to our hearts now through your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen 
Amen. In David Jeremiah's book on angels, and also in Billy Graham's book on angels, they tell a story about John Pat uh, Payton. Now, I remind you that there's a lot of crazy information out there about angels. So if you want to do a little more research, I recommend those two books, the one by David Jeremiah and the one by Billy Graham. They're both excellent. Both of them tell the story of John Payton. John Payton was, of course, and you've heard the name, he was one of the great names in church history. He was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. He went to cannibals to share the message of Christ. He went to places where they had never seen anybody outside of their tribe. They had never seen a civilized man. He went to places that were extremely dangerous. The story that both Jeremiah and Graham told was on one occasion after they had built a place to live and been there a while, picked up on some of the language. They were in their home and uh, this particular tribe had surrounded their home and shouting out threats. They were going to burn down their home and they were going to kill them. And cannibals maybe eat them. And so through this night there was shouts and, and uh, fires from muskets and they uh, of course were inside the home and they were afraid and they prayed all through the night for God's protection for them. When morning came, they were surprised and pleased, of course, that there was no natives around them. And, uh, and so they, they thanked the Lord together and praised him for his protection. About a year later, the chief of that tribe came to Christ and was saved. His life was changed, and because of the change in his life, many others followed receiving Christ. Sometime after that, when, when John Payton was talking to the chief, he thought to ask him about that night. He said, you remember back so long ago when, when uh, we were in our home and, and uh, y'all surrounded us and told us you were going to kill us and burn down our house and so forth. And he said, um, uh, what happened? Why didn't you, why didn't you uh, kill us? And he said, and I quote now, who were all those men you had with you? Peyton answered, there were no men, just my wife and I. And then the chief argued with him and told him there were men standing guard. Hundreds of big men with swords drawn and shining garment. And he said they, they circled the home. He said, and I quote, we were afraid to attack. 
And so we left. Only then, a year and a half later, did John Payton know that God had sent angels to protect them from this danger. Sometimes angels appear to look human. Other times, they display some of God's glory when it's needed, as here. And like our text last week, you remember when Elisha prayed for his servant so he could see the unseen world, and they appeared as chariots of fire. I told you about my friend, Russell Clayton, who had uh, uh, angels inter uh, intervene for him on a number of occasions. I think similar to John Payton. John Payton and his wife went to a place that was extremely dangerous. And there was absolutely no one there to protect them. And so God sent angels. Russell Clayton didn't go to cannibals, but he did go to the inner cities of the United States in New York and Chicago and Detroit and Miami, California. And so he was in a dangerous place and he was a very small man and a very weak man, a very frail man. And though he was beaten up many times and stabbed a few times and shot once, God carried him through and sometimes an angel intervened on his behalf. He said after he, was, after he had witnessed those angels helping him, then he thought back about when he was just a boy. His dad was an alcoholic and used to beat him. And uh, often he would throw him out the door and close the door and lock it at night. And this little Jewish boy growing up in New York City would be out in the dark and the cold by himself. After the daddy passed out, the mother would unlock the door and let the little Russell back in. And uh, this happened often. He was beaten often. Russell even said to me on one occasion, he said, you know, Pastor Paul, I think the reason the Lord let me get beat when I was a child was so I would be kind of used to it because I get beat so often now in my ministry. That's quite a way of looking at things, isn't it? But sometimes when his father would lock him out, the father would stay up in a rage all night long, pacing the floor and screaming and hollering. And, and, uh, and little Russell would spend all the night out in the cold. He said on one occasion, he was sitting on a little bench not far from their house, and he was cold and it was snowing, and he'd been there quite a while. And it was the middle of the night. No one was around but a man came walking by and sat down beside him and spoke to him with kindness. He also had a blanket and wrapped the blanket around little Russell. And then the man said to the little boy, it's not always going to be this bad. And then he said, Always remember this, no matter what's happening, God loves you. 
God loves you. And after a few minutes, he stepped away, walked into the darkness, and disappeared. Russell says, after he had experienced those interventions of angels, he, looking back on it, he couldn't prove it, or, but he believed that this was an angel that God sent to encourage this little boy out in the cold. You know, when Dr. Jeremiah wrote his book on angels, he said he researched in great detail over a hundred experiences claiming to have seen uh, and had the intervention of an angel. Many of those he didn't believe because it didn't fit the biblical criteria. When Billy Graham wrote his book, he said in his whole life experience he'd either heard of or read of a thousand experiences of people seeing angels, though he didn't believe them all because they had to fit the biblical criteria. The biblical criteria would be something like this. There, there must be no worship of angels. There must be no prayers to angels. And angels only aid those who are the heirs of salvation. So you have to be a believer or you have to become a believer uh, sometime in your life. And the experience cannot bring glory to the angel or to the person, but only to God himself. And then it must not be given to sensationalism. You know, there's a whole branch of the church that's really fixated on sensationalism. You know, they, they just about, they see an angel or a demon behind every bush, you know. And uh, they, they had, give the idea that you're not, a, you're not really a good Christian unless you've had some kind of big vision or you've had some kind of experience of seeing an angel or something like that. I think they cross the line between what you really see with your physical eyes and what you can see by faith. By faith, you may know there are angels watching over you and taking care of you. You can't see them with the eye, but I think they, they, they see it by the eye of faith and they cross over the line and, and imagine they see them with physical eyes. And then the last part of the criteria is it should draw us closer to Christ. And so... Angel sighting, so to speak, should uh, uh, fit that criteria, that biblical criteria. Now, with that said, let's go back to our text and look at it for a moment. Notice in verse 1, it says, And the Lord appeared unto him. That's Abraham. The Lord appeared unto him. And then basically what he's saying, this is how it happened. The Lord appeared to him, and this is the way it happened. The word Lord there, you notice, is all capital letters. And Harley touched on this last week. All capital letters, meaning it's 
It's the translation of the word Yahweh in the Greek, or, or uh, Jehovah is the Latin word that translates Yahweh. And so uh, this is the personal name for God. So it, can, it, can't be, it can't refer to anybody but God himself, the creator. And so God himself appears to Abraham, verse 1 tells us. Now, we're told that he gets up and runs to greet these three men who come up to him. And uh, it, uh, maybe he's sitting in the, in the tent door in the heat of the day. That was an oriental custom. Uh, it was the heat of the day and you worked when it was cooler and, and worked again in the evening when it was cooler. But in the middle of the day, you come in, you sit in the door of the tent. If you go inside the tent, you... You can't get a breeze, but if you sit in the door of the tent, you can still get some breeze in the door. That's where Abraham was sitting. He, maybe he dozed off, or maybe these three men just appeared. But anyway, he just looked up, and he sees three men. He runs over to them, bows himself, and gives uh, them courtesy. And he, he talks them into having a meal, staying long enough for him to prepare a meal. And he prepares quite a feast, if you read the whole chapter. And... Uh, in verse 3, he says uh, to them, my Lord. Now that word Lord is the word Adonai in the Hebrew. And it, can, it most of the time refers to the Lord God. But it can and sometimes refers to a human Lord. Like somebody who is the Lord of a manor or Lord of a, a certain region it would be synonymous with the word master or owner. And sometimes it was even used as a courtesy the way we use the word sir. Now it's capitalized in verse 3. Uh, remember, uh, there are no capitals in the Greek or the Hebrew. So the translators put that in there to try to help us understand. So this word could have a little L in front of it, or it could have a capital L, uh, Adonai. Most of the time referring to God himself, but sometimes referring to mankind. So some scholars think that this word Lord should have a small L referring to man. Now that, that'll make more sense why that's important in just a moment. If you look at the new translations, they're pretty well divided, pretty evenly. If you've got a newer translation, you might have a little L or you might have a, uh, a capital L, either one. Pretty evenly divided among scholars. Here's a note that Dr. Ryrie wrote. He says, Lord would be better with a little L, O-R-D. Abraham probably did not immediately recognize his visitor as Yahweh. I think when you read and study the whole chapter, that seems to be the case. Now look over in verse 19, I mean chapter 19 for a minute, and look at verse 2. Two of these men go to Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot lives. And notice what Lot says to him, to them, verse 2. And he said, Behold now, my lords. That's a little, little L. It's plural because there's two of them, and he calls them both 
lords. It seemed that Abraham recognized that one of them was, uh, was the leader of the three, so he used a plural lord. Now, as, as this chapter goes on, we find out that one of these three men was God himself. He, one of these three men was a theophany, God who appears in flesh as a human. Sometimes referred to as a Christophany because it is the second person of the Trinity, the Son. It is the Lord Jesus before he became Jesus. And there are some of these appearances, of course, in the Old Testament. So, one of these, we find out, is the Lord himself. As verse 1 said, the Lord Jehovah appeared unto him. Now, notice when he begins to reveal who he is. Look a little further down in the chapter. And he's fed them now. And uh, he's given them hospitality. Look at uh, verse 9. And, uh, and they said unto him, or they, that is, the three men said to him, Abraham, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he, now it's plural, he, just one said, I will certainly return unto thee according to to the time of life, and lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well-stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So she was to the point where she couldn't have children anymore. And... Uh, Verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself. She laughed in her heart, not out loud, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord, now, notice, and the Lord, all capitals. Now we've got the word, Je the Lord Jehovah again, God himself. God himself said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child, which, uh, and now I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord, again Jehovah? At the time appointed, I will, that is, the giver of life, I will return unto thee, according to the time, and Sarah shall bear, uh, bear, bear a son. Then Sarah denied it, saying, I, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, nay or no, but you did laugh. Thou didst laugh. And then in verse 17, and it says, And the Lord said, that's Jehovah God. Verse 20, And the Lord said, and again, this whole context, it's one of the three men that appeared at his tent. He's being called Lord Jehovah. Verse 22, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Notice all caps Lord God. He stood before the Lord God who was appearing unto him. 
Uh, now he intercedes for the people of Sodom. You remember that part of the story. He says, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? And the Lord said, yes. And on he went with smaller numbers till he got down to 10. And the Lord said he would spare the city if there were 10 righteous people there. As it turns out, only uh, uh, Lot and his wife and his two daughters were the only ones the angels uh, drew out of the city of Sodom. Look at verse 33. And the Lord went his way. Again, notice Lord, the Lord Jehovah. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place and there came two angels unto Sodom that evening. So the, the two angels, I mean the Three men, one of them was the Lord himself in a pre-incarnate appearance, a Christophany, but the other two who appeared just to be men. They were angels. They were accompanying the Lord. And when Abraham and, and the Lord were disputing over that number, the two angels made their way to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and... Uh, of course, then uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed in God's judgment. So in this one chapter, chapter 18, the word Lord, meaning Jehovah, occurs ten times. And eight times it refers to the person that Abraham was talking to. So sometimes angels appear, they just look like men. They just look like mankind. Sometimes, though, you can tell they're angels because of some kind of manifestation of God's glory. Came across an interesting story in, uh, in Christianity Today about a man who was the editor of another magazine called Leadership. And it was for leaders in the church, uh, his magazine. And his daughter had become extremely sick, and she was in a coma and near death. And a person who was on the hospital staff was working the third shift, and in the middle of the night, she walked by the room and glanced in, and she saw, and now I'm quoting, she saw an astounding sight. Angels were hovering over the girl's bed. Amazingly, the next morning, the daughter had come out of her coma and recovered. The father, who was a Christian, but the article says he was not prone to sensationalism at all. Matter of fact, he stayed far away from it. But he immediately believed that his daughter had been visited by angels that night. The hospital worker who saw this scene rededicated her life to Christ and put him in first place. So there are sightings. They are rare, but they do happen. 
But you can be overly obsessed with angels. In the 1990s, angels became popular and trendy. They were on the front of magazine covers and articles were written about them and people were interviewed on TV. And one writer even said there were, there were seminars held in universities, angel seminars. And that still lingers somewhat in our day. But the angels they talk about are not necessarily biblical angels. Life magazine wrote an article about angels and uh, they called what was going on angelism, an angelism movement. And the, uh, the Life magazine uh, writer said he attended a big conference, an angel conference. And uh, he said, the angels they talked about were unlike the mighty heavenly beings described in the Bible. The fact is, he said, the angels they talked about were benign, bite-sized species. And I'm reading his report. Cuddly as a lapdog. I heard angels likened unto kissing cousins flower delivery messengers. And sometimes they would just be referred to as a nice feeling of warmth and love that washes all over you. The writer commented, today's angels seem to spend a lot less time praising God than they do serving us and our desires. He went on to say, he heard testimonies of angels tracking down people's keys or making their chicken casserole more flavorful. Then he said this. I found this interesting too. He said, indeed, nearly all of the angel believers, quote, believers, not believers in Christ, they were angel believers. They believed in angels. All of the angel believers I met got around to mentioning their parking space angel whom they called upon while cruising crowded city streets, end of quote. Wow. That's not the biblical description of angels. It can even be dangerous to be obsessed with angels. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. One translation says, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Another one says he disguises himself as an angel of light. Remember, we're not supposed to worship angels or even pray to angels. 
They are beings that are under the control of the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus is our master. He's our best friend. If we need an angel, he'll dispatch that angel without us uh, having to uh, request it. And so angels are real. real. The Bible are full of them. Over 360 references to angels in the Bible, but not everything you're going to hear on the Internet or hear from people or reading books are going to be biblically sound teaching about angels. Now, I want to close over in, in uh, Colossians. Turn with me to Colossians. I'm going to turn over there. You turn with me. The men will put it on the screen for us. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. And I'm going to start in verse 16. Look at verse 16. For by him, that's Christ. We just, uh, it's just been describing Christ. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. So the invisible world we're going to be studying the next few weeks as well was all created by him, the Lord Jesus. Now you might think for a moment and say, well, what about demons? He would not have created demons. But as we're going to look next week, demons were created as angels, good, and they were good. It was their sin that brought about the demons and Satan. And so look, all things uh, were created by him. The, in, the invisible, the invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church. So is the, uh, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In all things... Christ is to have the preeminence. Christ does, doesn't want to just have a place in our life. He doesn't just want to have a prominent place in our life. He wants the preeminent place in our life. He wants to be number one above all else in our lives. And then jump on over to verse, 20, uh, verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in us. And he is that the Lord of that angel army as we sang about. Again, some of the words that we sang just a few moments ago. He's the God of angel armies. And he's always by my side. That's pretty comforting, isn't it? Whatever we're going through, he's right with us, and he's the God of the angel armies of heaven. Then it says, The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever is a friend of mine. A friend. And he certainly is. One more thing and I'll close. Walt Shepard, 
was a young man and his girlfriend had broken up with him and his heart was broken. And he became depressed and broken. And in the dark of a pre-dawn Sunday, he was in his Sunbeam sports car and he accelerated to 120 miles an hour. He was on Highway 10 north of New Orleans. He saw up ahead an abandoned car on the side of the road. And in a split second, he made the decision and turned his car into that abandoned car. There was a tremendous explosion and both cars burst into flames. There was a manager of a nearby motel that heard the crash and he called rescue authorities and then he went out to see what was going on himself. Walt was thrown through the windshield and was lying on the mangled engine trapped by the crumpled hood of the car. Fire surrounded him and he was unconscious. The highway patrol got there quickly but the fire was so intense it kept the officers from getting within 50 feet of the wreckage. With amazement, the highway patrol and the manager of the motel saw two men approach the burning car without hesitation. They pulled Walt from the flames and helped the rescue team load him in the ambulance. The ambulance sped away. The officers wanted to interview the two unknown helpers to find out more about what was going on and how they could do such a thing, but they could not find them. There had, remember, this is the middle of the night. No other cars had come by. No one was parked on the side of the road. And so the two had just mysteriously disappeared. Walt, the man who was in the accident, began months of painful recovery in the hospital. He struggled with bitterness and anger, but he began reflecting on his upbringing as the son of Presbyterian missionaries. One day he decided to pray. He was in a body cast so he couldn't kneel, so he rolled as far as he could towards the wall and facing the wall, he cried out, and I'm quoting now, I can't take it. I need you. I need your forgiveness. Come into my life. Come into my heart and clean me up. He said the next morning he woke up surprised that he had had the best night's sleep he had had in five years. Meanwhile, his father had talked to all of those witnesses who had seen these two unidentified people approach this burning car and walk right through the fire. And uh, after the son came to Christ, the father said to him one day, 
Son, I think you were saved by two angels so you'd have the opportunity to do what you did this week to receive Christ. Walt was skeptical, skeptical as the article says, but now after maturing from youth to middle age, he says, and now I'm quoting the son who went through the windshield, I believe angels are simply part of God's natural dealings with us. It's amazing, but I believe angels rescued me from the fire that morning. You and I will probably never see an angel, and if we do, it might scare us to death, but God's Word calls every one of us to put Jesus first, to let Him be preeminent in our lives. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the host of heaven that you control. But thank you above all else that you have forgiven us and come into our hearts and Christ in us is the hope of glory, the hope of sharing glory with you one day, the hope of living a life down here that brings glory to you. Now I pray that each of us right now, right where we are, right in our seats right now, will afresh yield our lives to you, Lord Jesus. I pray that we'll say something like this, Lord Jesus, I want you to be first place in my life. I want to love you more than I love anything else or anyone else. And I want to obey you totally and completely. I want to obey you with my life and my time and my finances. You are truly Lord of my life. Tell him that right where you are. Father, thank you now for this time together. You see our hearts. You know our desires. Seal these commitments this morning that you might truly be Lord of our lives. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, now, Dr. Miller is coming. <laughs>